0: Hello, thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Parents, if you were gritting through the service, now you can breathe. I know sometimes with the little ones it's a challenge, but it's our responsibility as parents to teach them how to grow up and live in the house of the Lord. You know, I was talking to Becky and some of our leaders, and just the the strategy we have at this church is, to, is is to get it right when they're young, right? We start when they're children, and then you know they grow, and then they go into our youth ministries, and they grow, and then they go to young adults, and they grow, and you know at that point, you know if they're not flapping their wings or flying, you know that 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 young adult age is kind of when you get them, and kind of just have to say, flap, come on, it, it, it's it's that moment of transitioning from, you know. Uh, school age to adulthood. And and we know as as parents, it's, you know, as adults, right? It's challenging. It's difficult. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be those things. But we know that if we invest at an early age, we set them up for greater success than if we wait to try to fix it later. How many of you can say amen to that? I know sometimes we say, well, I wish I would have done this. I I wish I could have done that. We don't, we can't go back and change the past, but all we have potential to change is the present and the future but I believe that God can expedite that. He can work on our behalf and He can change those hearts. He can, he can cause our work to be effective, amen? Amen, because we need His help in all of that. We can't do it alone without Him helping us. So this morning we're going to look at, we're, we're in week three, uh, you know, so we did an intro, we did week one, week two, week, you know, so th- and there's going to be three, three sessions, but th- this is the second topic that we're talking about today. So last week we looked at the church's role in the great, fulfilling the Great Commission and the purpose for what God has called them to, and today we are going to look at the personal mission. So one thing that we have to be so mindful of, if the church is successful in fulfilling their mission and what God has called us to do as a church and you are a part of that church, it also, just like we say we invest in our children, right? It also sets you up for success in your personal mission. You realize that? But if the church is failing and we're not helping you grow, we're not giving you the resources, we're not challenging you, we're not encouraging you, if a lot of these things are not happening within the church, it's going to make it very difficult for you to really be successful in the world and in your personal mission and what God has called you to be. Okay, so we know that if the church's mission is successful, that it sets you up for your personal mission to be successful. If the church is failing, it's going to make it more difficult. I'm not saying that it's not possible to fulfill your mission, your personal mission, but it sure makes it a lot easier when you're getting that that nourishment and that feeding and that challenging and that accountability, all of those things that go with really being effective with the Great Commission on the earth. Amen? So we know that, um, you know... We looked at the local part, which is the church. We're going to look at the personal part, which is you. And then we're going to look at the practical next week. So we're going to look at how do I actually do this? What do I actually do? What should my normal conversations look like? In the workplace, what, how should I engage people in conversations that potentially could lead them to, uh, to knowing Christ? Now, I know a lot of us, that's kind of getting way out of your comfort zone. Maybe we're not comfortable with it. Maybe we've never done it. You know, I know that at some point in your life, hopefully, as a follower of Christ, there's been a few moments where you have felt inspired by the Holy Spirit to say something. Somebody's discouraged, somebody's hurting, and you want to say something, and you want to you share about the testimony of the goodness of God in your life, and maybe the, the, what God wants to do in their life. And sometimes we, what do we do? We shrink back. Sometimes we don't really share in the capacity that God wants us to. But I believe those missed moments are opportunities to do better and to grow in the future, right? You know, failing, messing up, not really always hitting that bar, that's just part of the growth process, guys. We will miss it, but I hope that we are striving to achieve what God has called us to do more often than just sitting passively, okay? So that's what it's all talking about today, about what is your role, what is your responsibility in the big picture. So, you know, Harvest Time is called to be the church. It's established on God. You know, our, our goal is to grow disciples and produce maturity among our believers, and we focus our services towards the believer with the lost in mind. So maybe you're here for the first time this morning. We want to make it just as appealing to you as a, as a member of this church. We want to make it to where you leave this place encouraged. You leave this place strengthened. You say, man, I don't know what it was about those people, but it was just fun. It was exciting. Man, we felt something inside of us, and we're believing that's Jesus in and through us. You know, in worship, we hit those moments of it's like, man, this is so good. And, and we encounter the presence of God. That's what we want in the life of our church. Okay, so this morning I, you have to know that you, as a follower of Christ, are called to be a disciple. Now, I know that word disciple sometimes that's like old modern language, we don't really use it a lot, but it's just as much relevant today as it was in Bible times. We have to focus on discipleship, we have to focus on growing in Christ. So, let me give you a definition of a disciple. Okay, so the definition of a disciple is a person who continues in God's word until they experience freedom. Okay? So you say, well, you know, am I a baby disciple? Am I just starting out? So when we look at that definition, it is a continuation in God's Word until you experience freedom. Now, some of us, maybe we've experienced a little bit of freedom. Maybe some of us have experienced a great deal of freedom. But how many of you know that every single one of us need to continually experience freedom? Moment by moment, day by day, month by month, week by week, we need to experience the freedom of the Lord in our lives. So that makes us a disciple for a lifetime. It was never about I follow Christ. You know, you know. Maybe some of you came up in a traditional way. They you came up to the altar and you said I'm going to give my life to Jesus, and you gave your life to the Lord, and then it just stopped, and nothing nothing was required of you. You knew you would go to heaven. You wouldn't go to hell, and you know we call that you know fire insurance, right? We receive salvation, we receive the free gift of Jesus just because we don't want to go to hell, not because we really want to pursue a relationship with God. But we don't want to receive the consequences of sin, therefore we know that if we place our lives in Jesus, well then we avoid sin, but there's so much more to that. It's not just about being saved, but it's that process of following. So we have to understand that a disciple is always going to follow after Jesus. John 8, 31 through 32 in the New American Standard, it says, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So if we look at, you know, the the Great Commission initially in Matthew, we talked about it, it says, "All, All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. And he says, Therefore, go and make disciples he talks about baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, and teach them all things. Teach them everything that I have com- commanded you. So if we take that commission that was a global general commission, right, and, and we, we specify it personally, I believe that there are, there are three critical aspects of a successful personal mission. Okay? So in order to align our lives with Jesus' commission in Matthew 28... Our lives have to include three things, first and foremost, living, secondly, growing, and then third, doing, okay? So those are the three things we're going to look at. We're going to look at living, we're going to look at growing, and we're going to look at doing. So to be a disciple of Christ, there has to be a willingness to follow. Every single disciple that was called by Jesus, he said what? Come and follow me. You know, it wasn't wasn't a passive thing. It it was something that was going to be very costly. It was going to require something of them. You know, I often wonder if Jesus was right there at the shorelines when he was calling a lot of the disciples. He said, hey, come follow me. And if they would have said, well, I'm just not ready, because we hear that all the time, right? You know, I'm not ready to receive salvation yet. I just don't understand it all yet. I'm not really sure if I'm ready. Man, you don't know, Pastor Noah, you don't know how much sin I have in my life. Whatever it is, the condition was not convenient. Well, let's look at was happening. Let's suppose you're at work doing whatever you're doing, your livelihood, your profession. And Jesus walks by and says, hey, come follow me. And at that moment, you, you might not have time to talk to your boss. You might not have time to put in a two-week notice. But at that moment, you have a chance to follow Jesus Christ. Well, my first thing is going to say, oh, what about my family? What about my bills? What about all of these things I have to provide for? But it says, the moment that he called, they dropped their nets. They left everything, and yet they left it in what? They followed. Everything. Like, you know, I just, I think about that, you know, there has to be some trust, some confidence. And the disciples at that time, they knew who Jesus was. They had heard of Jesus. So this wasn't like the first time they're like, who is this Jesus guy? They had heard of the miracles. They had heard of of what he was doing around the area. And then there was an opportunity that presented themselves to not just accept But to follow. So, mark of a disciple, it's going to be lives that are continually in a willingness to follow. Now, I know sometimes we're reluctant, right? I I call it, you know, we drag our feet. It's like, Lord, I'm following, but, you know, we're going too fast or, you know, working through this transition. I think sometimes there's things we don't want to leave behind that prevent us from being all that God has called us to be. Now, I thank God that those aren't always jobs, right? You know, that would be like, Leave my job, Lord? What are you saying? What are you asking me to? But maybe there's relationships that God is breaking out of your life. Maybe there's habits or things that you spend too much time focusing on that God says, no, drop that, leave that, and follow me. But, Lord, I, I, I've, I've grown so comfortable with that. Or it's just, it's just so convenient, right? Whatever it is, God is wanting to break those things. He's wanting to separate those things out of our life, and He wants us to pursue and follow Him. But it has to be intentional, It has to be purposeful. We have to to leave all those things and not continue to look back, but keep our gaze on the Father. So every disciple is called by God to follow, okay? So your personal mission involves living out your walk with Christ. So living living, uh, always requires giving something of great sacrifice. So let me explain. So when I say the word giving, like if I say, hey, this morning we're going to give, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? money. We're not one of those churches, guys. We believe God provides for everything we have need of. But if I say giving, the first thing is, oh, you know, now some of you might, I'm a head for the door, right? It's one of those churches. But what I am talking about here is so much more than just financial. When God's, when Jesus says, come, follow me, A giving of our life, right? You know, so one thing, you know, and there is a reward, a practical reward for those who give according to God's biblical standards in His Word. So I'm not saying that you will not be blessed when you are obedient to God's Word. But what I'm talking about this morning is something that is priceless, something you cannot buy, but it's something that has to be willfully given. And that's our lives. You know, it's easier sometimes to write a check than to give God part of our time or our lives. Our lives actually cost us something. You realize that? Sometimes it's easier, you know, because we only have, what, you know, 24 hours in a day, and sometimes our schedules, overtime, work, extracurriculars, and, you know, I know we're getting out of this virus phase, so some sports are ramping back up, and, you know, all of these things that we're trying to do, where we, it seems like our time is so limited. But I believe if we evaluate where we spend our time, that's where we spend our value, and that shows what's really important in our lives. Okay, But it's something that, that can't be bought. It has to be given. Let's look at Matthew sixteen twenty four through 27 in, in the new, uh, NIV. This is what he said, starting in verse 24. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Verse 26, it says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. So Jesus is very, very clear in this Scripture that whoever wants to save his life will what? Lose it. Now, we have created a a comfortable Christian culture in America Where as long as it's convenient for me, God, I will follow and do what you say. But the moment that it gets difficult, are we are required to sacrifice something in our life? We feel like now as a Christian, we have a right to revoke what we freely receive from Christ. But really, to gain our life, we have to lose it. It also states that we'll be rewarded for what we've done with our time here on the earth. So so there is some accountability for for believers. You know, and it's not going to just say, well, I I got saved and, you know, I I, I remember at youth camp or I was at kids camp or at that church one time. I I got saved and Lord, you know, he's going to say, "Okay, that was great. But what did you do with that time that you knew me? What, What did the following look like? What did the living out the lifestyle of following Christ look like in your life? Now, I believe that the power of God that is at work in us will cause a change in our life, that will cause us to be successful in everything we do in ministry. say, Pastor Noe, I'm not in ministry. You absolutely are if you're a Christian. Everywhere you go, everything you say, every line you stand in, every frustrated comment you make as a Christian that's been sealed with the mark of Christ, you are in ministry. We have just not seen ministry for what God has called it to be. We say, well, Pastor Noah, you're in ministry, you're a pastor, or hey, worship team, you're in ministry because you're on a platform ministry. Did you know that we have a sphere of influence as leaders within this church, in the, in the realm of the church, and we will work in that authority and try to influence as much as we can, but when you go to work, when you leave these doors and you go out, you are now ministers and in ministry of wherever God has placed you. You have the opportunity to speak to people that may, I might not even have the opportunity to speak to. And those are awesome privileges, awesome opportunities. But we have to pay attention. We have to be intentional. But I think God will give us divine appointments. He'll give us moments in our life where we know we need to say something. And how many of us sometimes are guilty of saying, oh, I didn't want to say anything. I was scared about what they were were going to say or, you know. So what we do here with this time on earth matters. So understand, this, this has to do with your personal mission. You know, it's not going to matter. Say, well, Pastor Noe did this, or the worship team did this, or I was a part of a church that did this. What did you do? When I talk about that personal mission, what did you do for the sake of the kingdom of God? What did you do to fulfill your purpose and plan in what God has specifically called you to? Because I'm going to be judged for, you know, did I pastor well? Did, did I, did I leave a, did live a lifestyle that also represented what I preached? That's scary stuff as a pastor because there's things that I preach sometimes that challenge me as a pastor. Pastors are not holier and better than anybody else. But the same word that maybe convicts you convicts me. And I need that word working in my life just as much as you need it working in your life, Right? If I only preached the things that I have had arrived at, I might not get much further than the salvation message. Think about that, you know, because we are in that process. But just what what I do, God's going to judge me for what he's called me to. But God is going to judge each and every one of you of what he's positioned you and what he's conditioned you and what he's built you for. But we have to know that we have a commission. We have a plan that we're going to be, you know, judged for what we did. Now, when I, when I hear something, let me just pause right here real quick. When I say judged, it's not going to be doom and gloom. you got to understand that. So, so, so the judgment is based on reward as a follower of Christ. It's not condemnation to hell, okay? It, it is based on as a follower of Christ, you know, what rewards will you receive in heaven? Now, I believe there's some that maybe we look around and we might not see them as significantly much but great will be their reward in heaven for what they've done that was not seen. Because they accomplished and fulfilled all of the things that God had for them. So the personal mission is just that. It's personal. Don't say, oh, well, my husband over here, or my wife over here, all my, oh, my kids. You know, like, hey, worry about yourself. I think that'll fix a lot of our problems sometimes. Right? Just deal with yourself. Well, they won't. I don't care about them. Let them deal with themselves. You guys ever seen that in marriage? The husband wants to change the wife or the wife wants to change the husband. Well, she just needs to. Well, he just needs to. Oh, man. And then we go to marriage counseling because they're so concerned about changing the other person. Had the opportunity to do some marriage counseling. I said, listen, it's all about you. What you do, what you offer, loving unconditionally. Deal with your own heart and your marriage is going to be successful. Most of the issues that I ever see in divorce or in relationship, it comes out of selfish motives. Well, I want, or they should have, or they didn't. And I was like, what about you? Why are you talking about me? They need to, all right, I hear you. So we got to be personally held accountable to what God has called us to. And I'm using that illustration of marriage, but I'm talking about like in our lives, we got to make sure that we are evaluating ourselves and what God has called us to do. So when God created everything, you know, he created everything with a purpose and a plan. God does not make mistakes. God is perfect. He's a right on time God. He he never messes up. Now, I think some of us today, we may say, well, Lord, if you would have given me more gifts or if you would have built me like so and so, or if you wouldn't have, if I'd have been born in a different family, whatever excuse you want to make, God does not mess those things up. He specifically places you in that perfect position of what he has called you to. Now, the cool thing is sometimes some of us are dealt what I call a a worse hand than others. But in those moments, I see God's grace released more in those lives of those individuals to where he causes more potential and he causes more, maybe to overcome more than you would have ever imagined. But we have to know that, you you know, when God created us, he didn't need us, but he wanted us. Think about that. It says while we were in our mother's womb, he knew us, he built us, he had a plan for us. It says, even in the secret place, he already knew us, and he desired us. You know, mankind was one of God's greatest miracles. We were created in his image. But what pleased the Father the most was when the created once again returned to the creator. That what was created has now turned back to the Father. And I believe that satisfied Father God's heart so much. And he doesn't really demand much of us. He just says, come to me, follow me. And I will make you what? Fishers of men. Not you're going to make yourself or you're going to learn. He says, I will make you. I will do the work. You just do the following. So what God really demands of us, it's not a million dollar check. Now, if God tells you to write a million dollar check, please be obedient. (laughs) Amen. But... You know, this usually plays out, you know, that, that following, that being, you know, if, it usually follows in being obedient to what God asks us to do. Now, I even believe that this week, God is specifically going to ask you to do something. And you're going to remember this message, and you're going to do one of two things. Say, oh, Lord, all right, so you're asking me to follow. You're asking me to get out of my comfort zone. You're asking me to do something, my personal mission. And you're going to do one of two things. You're be like, all right, Lord, it scares me, but I know that you're good, and I'm going to follow. Or are you going to be like, well, nobody's looking. Nobody's probably going to ask me this next week. Man, there's too much on the line. And you will remain passive. But I believe that the whole, and I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit's effective work continues to work in your life. To where we have the willpower to always say yes and amen in anything that Christ Jesus leads us to. Sometimes it's our own stubbornness. It's our own mind, right? Trying to work it out or figure it out rather than just saying, yes, Lord. Some of the best things we can ever do to practice obedience is to just respond, yes, Lord. Well, I want you to do this. Ooh. Yes, Lord. But as long as we say yes and we willfully follow. So to be a disciple of Christ, what was the requirement? To deny self, to take up the cross, a following process. So today we know that the cross is an accepted symbol of love and sacrifice, right? When you see, you know, a lot of our homes have crosses, you know, mural walls, you know, all over the place, you know, it's something that is accepted. It's, it's something that is of love. But you know that, the, you know, in, in Bible days, though, do you know what the cross represented? It, it, it represented a horrible capital punishment. The Romans would not even mention it among themselves. It was something that wasn't even, you know, it, it, it was a polite society. We, they didn't want to talk about it. You know, and actually, no Roman citizen could actually be crucified. They saved crucifixion for their worst enemies. It was horrific. It was bad. Right? You know, so we see Jesus when he was talking about, come follow me, do all of these things. You know, we, in, in that Matthew 20, 17 through 19, when he says, you know, you know, he hadn't even stated yet that he would be crucified, but everything he talked about reflected to the cross. Okay? So these, these words that He used, this is what He emphasized the cross, cross as. So this is what He presented to the disciples. Two approaches to giving up your life. Here's a few of these. It says, you can deny yourself or you can live for yourself. Sometimes we choose living for ourselves, right? We can take up your cross or you can ignore the cross. You can follow Christ, or you can follow the world. You realize right now we are where we are at as a culture, I really believe that God is sifting the middle ground. He's not allowing this, this compromise of living this lukewarm lifestyle, but He's calling you to either be you know, on fire for Him or cold. He's not allowing you to ride the fence that has been so accepted and so easy to do previously to where we are at in this nation. The Christians are going to have to stand and make a bold statement, or you're going to what? Follow the world. Lose your life for His sake or save your life for the sake of your own. Self-survival. We, we're guilty of that one, right? Hey, like, man, yes, Lord. Oh, but it's, it's a risk. It could endanger my family. It could endanger all of my things. Oh, okay, Lord, I'm done. Right? We, we, have a, we have a line. How much is enough? What was, what was Christ's level of commitment to, to the cause? Even unto what? Death. Now, that's a little radical in America, right, where most things are good and it's easy to be a Christian and, you know, we're not killed for our beliefs, but I can't say that it'll be like that forever, guys. So if we can't make that decision to follow Christ when it's easy, how hard will it be to make that decision to follow Christ if it gets more difficult? For the sake, forsake the world or you can gain the world. You can keep your soul or you can lose your soul. You can share his reward and glory, or you can lose his reward and glory. It's really up to us. So to deny self, that means to deny. It doesn't mean to deny things. What it means is to give yourself wholly to Christ and share in his shame and his death. Like, well, I don't like shame. I don't like shame either. But is it worth it if that's what God has called us to? Galatians 2.20, this is one of my favorite verses, uh, but I really believe it really presents where where we're at now. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. It's really in a nutshell what it's all about. This life that I live in this flesh, it's no longer mine but I willingly give it up. I live now to faith in the Son of God. So when we give our lives to Christ, it should be evident in every area of our lives. Our finances should reflect it. Our time should reflect it. Our our desires and our discussions, all of these things should reflect a transformed heart. I always find it so funny when People around me, they know I'm a pastor, and they, they accidentally, a word slips out. They, you know, and like, oh, pastor, I'm sorry. It's like, I think it's the first time I've ever heard that word. You know, to me, it, you know, it doesn't, but my, my thought in that is like, man, you are so concerned to speak appropriately around me. Do you not know that the creator of heaven and earth hears every word that comes out of your mouth? And it doesn't grieve your heart when you speak, speak in that way behind closed doors or when you're not around a pastor. I've seen people flip switches. You know, all of a sudden, oh, there's a pastor in the room, and man, when pastors not around, ooh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you do it and not don't slip up or don't mess up. Pretty good at it, right? But everything in our life should reflect a transformed life. So, your personal ministry involves living out your walk with Christ. That's the first thing. Secondly. Your personal mission is successful and brings God glory when you are growing. You know it brings glory to God when you grow, right? Because that means that there is an effective work of God going on in your life. you, You are becoming more and more like Christ. And do you realize you cannot do that on your own? You can't, you know, there, and there's many, sadly, but that act like a Christian. But I'm talking about being transformed from the inside out where you are actually walking and being like Christ. Think about, you know, your sinful days. We're not going to stay there long, but think about it, right? Before you knew Christ or if, if, you know, you understand, what's the worst thing you ever did? Well, I don't want to talk about that, Pastor. And those things that we did when we were in the world or we were sinful or we were far from Christ, You know, it says all of us are as filthy rags in what we can earn or what we can do. It says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all deserving of death. But yet it is Christ that does a work in us. So when He does that work, not only does He start that work, He finishes that work, but it brings Him glory when we become being image bearers that look like Christ. It glorifies Him. Let's look at John 15, 1 through 8, and then we're going to look at verse 16 also. Uh, John 15, starting in verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, it says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. my disciples. I'm going to read that one more time because that is the, the linchpin of all of this. It says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. In verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might bear fruit and not just any kind of fruit, but th- fruit that will last. So whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Now that is a powerful scripture. It talks about how that, that work within us is what God has done. And when we grow... It blesses the Father. It's to my Father's glory that you bear fruit. So we have to understand, you know, that, you know, growth begins, you know, brings God's glory and His power, His plan, and His purpose being released in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we are connected to that vine, we're going to produce life. When we're severed from the vine and we don't have, when we're not connected to that vine, we're going to, we're just going to be dead, disconnected from life. You know, I had some poison oak growing up on, a, on my telephone pole, and, you know, I thought about it. I said, man, that thing is taking over. Well, probably two weeks ago, I got the smart idea just to chop it at the base. Well, guess what happened? When I chopped it at the base, guess what happened to everything that was up that tree? Killed it. Man, I could see the pole. I was like, man, I've never seen the pole like that before, right? So the moment, moment something is severed from the root system, it's going to die. If it stays connected to the vine and it's connected to its life source, it is going to bear much fruit. It's going to be alive, okay? So, by grow, so we grow by remaining in Christ and staying connected to the community of the church, okay? Uh, I, you know, you have to realize that I cannot be all that God has called me to be apart from you, but you can't be all that God has called you to be without me. He's connected this church system in a way that causes us to be effective and to grow and be all that God has called us to be. But He's also secured us in the vine, who is Christ, that will cause our effectiveness and and cause us to grow and to be and to do all that God has called us to be. So, Christ, you know, the church was established in, in a way that we would need each other. There's no such thing as the Lone Ranger Christian. If you live that way, you're not going to last very long. The likelihood of the enemy picking you off is very great. One thing about the enemy, he tries to isolate and single out and remove you from the flock. Because if he can pull you to the side, he knows that he can destroy you. But if you stay connected to the flock, who is also governed by what? A shepherd who is a defender of the flock. First off, if we see a, a wolf... All them sheep start making racket. So, But when we're by ourselves, sometimes we're naively just walking around, just jumping on the grass thinking, hey, it's all okay. But it puts us in a position to be attacked and destroyed by the enemy. Right? So what did we talk about last week? We said, you know, that the church you know is God's system it was God's plan and it says you know that the church that the gates of hell would not overcome it not you one person by yourself out in a field separated from the church of church of church of God he says the church would not be overcome well I'm a, I am the church pastor but I'm over here by myself I can handle it write it down and let me know what happens in that in that way of thinking Now, I think there are seasons that God takes us to a place of solitude. You know, it says even Jesus was taken into the wilderness to be tempted, and He fasted for 40 days, but then, you know, He went back to community. So I'm not saying there's not moments that God will specifically work in your life, but I'm saying for you to be thriving as a Christian, you need to be connected to the vine, and you need to be connected to the church. I hear so many people, well, I can be a Christian from the house, or I can watch it online, or I can just, you know, it's just, I don't need to be in church to be a Christian. It's not what God said. He says, I will build my house, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He was talking about the church. He wasn't talking about your living room. He was talking about the church, right? The corporate gathering, Every all of us coming together. Okay? And it says, upon that God said, "He, I will build it upon Jesus. So we have to understand that when the church succeeds, the devil fails. And if the devil can cause dissension and strife in the church, he can destroy the effectiveness of the church. In Psalms 133, there's a passage there that says, God commands or bestows his blessing in unity. So if we can stay connected, if we can stay as one, if we can remove as much offense and and strife among us and, and pursue unity, we will see mighty things. We will see a bestowed blessing in this house. You realize how powerful that is? That's in our health. That's in our finances. That's in our provision. That's in from generation to generation. I mean, any way you look at it, that is a great thing when God bestows or commands blessing on a body of Christ. But there's conditions. It says you're to be unified. Good luck being unified by yourself. just doesn't make sense, guys, right? We can't say that, oh, well, I'm a part. I'm a Christian. Be a part, Okay. Um, anything that is healthy will grow. You know, I've seen this specifically true when I, spiritually speaking. Anybody who is connected to Christ, who's reading their word, who's, who's getting all the supernatural spiritual nutrients they need, they're going to grow. You know, I, I've even seen that in a church. A healthy church is going to grow. We don't have to worry about saying, well, you know, we wish the numbers were up. We wish all these things were gone. None of that matters if we're healthy. I believe that to be true. A healthy church is going to grow. Okay, so every, everyone bears fruit, okay, either good fruit or bad fruit. Luke 6, 43 through 44, it says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. So let me give you two questions to evaluate here. Now, this first one is a, is a little challenging. Let, let's say you see no good fruit in your life. Now, the condition of when you see no good fruit, now, that doesn't mean that you don't have fruit. It's just not good fruit, right? But if you see no good fruit, I would challenge you today, are you actually connected to the vine? Now, that vine is Christ, right? If you remain in me. So if you don't see any good fruit, first got to say, Pastor no, man, I don't, I, I don't see... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, all of these fruit of the Spirit active and you don't see it in your life, then today you need to be engrafted into the vine so that you'll bear good fruit. Secondly, maybe you, you, maybe you have minimal good fruit, which as a Christian, sometimes that's the case, right? I got fruit, I got good fruit, but it's a little bitty fruit. I don't know if you've ever seen fruit trees that have an abundance of fruit where they're almost breaking under the weight of all of the fruit that it's cultivating. It's crazy how it works, right? But, you know, maybe you're connected to the vine, but maybe God is needing to do some pruning. Now, pruning is never a comfortable process, but it always produces more growth. So two things I know to be true. We have plants around the church and... I water them, so if you ever see them dying, it's because I forgot to water them, right? Well I remember there was these two pots coming in through the office entrance over here and man, they looked horrible. I was about to uproot them and throw them away and I said, you know what? They're dead anyway, right? I'm going to put water on them see what happens. I put water on those things that were sun scorched, looked like they were dead. Two weeks later, they start springing up. One little, one little stem with a flower, I said, how about that? You put a little water on something that looks like it's dying, all of a sudden it comes back to life. Second illustration about pruning. I don't know nothing about pruning, but I know everything that I have ever cut back starts growing like crazy. Becky tells me, my wife, she she says, there's rules when you're supposed to cut those things back. I said, I don't care what the rules are. If it's growing over and I'm riding my mower and it's about to cut me off at the neck, I'm going to cut the limb. It doesn't matter to me. Like I'm going to prune whenever it seems good to me, right? But every time I have pruned something back, that thing grows back with vengeance. So I don't know about the pruning rule, what types of months you're supposed to do it. I chop them at any time and nothing has died. But what we need to know is that every time something is pruned, it produces better results. Now, sometimes God will prune something out of our life that was, one, you know, that one blossom that we were so proud of. It was the, the, the spectacle of everything. Just maybe, maybe it's a gift. Maybe it's a, something that we do, a, a gift that God has given you. And, you know, you were just so excited about that one thing in your life. And all of a sudden, God nips that. And it's removed. But, Lord, that's all I had. I had one limb. I had one blossom. I had one bud. And you cut that. And he says, just wait and watch. Because I'm pruning back. And then all of a sudden you're going to begin to see blossoms all over the place in your life. That's what we see Him doing. So your your, your personal mission is successful and brings God glory when you grow. So God is really serious about you growing. you got to be connected to the vine. And sometimes when we are connected to the vine, sometimes He cuts us back so that we grow. All right, number three. So the personal mission is doing your part to advance the kingdom of God. Notice I said your part. As a church, we're committing to do our part as a church, but what I'm talking about this morning is your part in fulfilling and uh, advancing the kingdom of God. Matthew five thirteen through 16 in the NIV, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if, a, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except it can be thrown out and trampled underfoot. This is what it says, and it's talking to you, Christian. It says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So when you grow, it it brings glory to the Father. You know, when your deeds are good, it brings glory to the Father. Everything glorifies God. But he has built you to be a light shining, not, not snuffed and hidden. But but to, you know, think about it. I don't know if you've ever tried to we had a power go out a while back and man, my house is pitch black. Five o'clock in the morning. Can't see anything. So what do I do? It's amazing what one candle will do. But it lights stuff up. I can see. But that is how God has created you as a Christian to be a light amongst dark places. There is a world running around that can't see anything, that can't make sense of anything. But God has positioned you as a Christian with wisdom and knowledge and an understanding of his word to light up those dark places, to give them the hope and the trust and the truth of what God's word says. You know, people are trying to find answers. They can't find it. But God has put the answer within you. Now, you may say, well, that's just a generic answer. You're telling me the answer is always Jesus? Absolutely. It's always the right answer. You know, that's always the textbook answer with my kids, right? What would you learn today? About Jesus? No, but what would you learn? About Jesus. It's actually a very profound response because really it is what? All rooted in Jesus. But that's always the answer to the lost and dying world. So God has called all of us to be his witnesses. So the power of the Holy Spirit has been given... And so that the witnessing must go forth, Acts 1.8, and I've quoted this before, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. First Peter 3.15, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason uh, for this hope that you have. Now, I know a lot of us are scared to death. What if somebody walks up to you, oh, I need Jesus, how do I get saved? Well, well hold on, let's go to church might not have time. You know, I I don't, you know, one thing that we have to realize that life is so fragile, guys. We're not guaranteed tomorrow, but what if you had an opportunity today to lead somebody to the Lord and you miss that moment? Man, I do not want to get to heaven and and, and there'll be people pleading with me that says, Noe, you knew all of these things that I had so need of and you never said anything. I'd rather be the guy that says, man, you never shut up about it. You kept telling me about the love of Christ and I, re- and I rejected it and I didn't want to hear it and, and I, did, I thought it was stupid. I'd rather be that guy than to have those people all around me and have this light that will, that will expose the darkness, that will cause people to see who Christ is and be able to share that with people and lives be forever changed rather than putting a bowl over light rather than allowing it to just shine on the lights of men. So everyone as a father of, follower of Christ needs to be able to give a reason for the hope that they have. Do you realize that? You know, I ask my kids, or, or before we baptize anybody, before, you know, when a kid receives salvation, I, I feel like I'm kind of mean, but I want the right answers. You know, hey, you know, why, why should you be baptized? Well, my brother did it. No, oh, okay, well, we're going to wait a little longer. Well, Jesus, okay. Well, what did Jesus do? Well, I don't know. Mommy just said Jesus, right? That's the, what did He do? You know, that we, we understand this hope to which He's given us, right? We want to know what Christ has done for our lives. So everyone has to, who is a follower of Christ has to give a reason. So first and foremost, we have the responsibility to share the testimony of Christ Jesus externally, I'm, hopefully you see that today, that there's some, you've you got to speak to people. You've got to share the love of Christ. You've got to be the hands and feet of Christ everywhere you go. God is counting on you to do some specific things, okay? But then secondly, you also have a responsibility to use your gifts and talents that God has given you to build up the body of Christ, so that's internal. Let's say this morning I didn't feel like preaching. All of y'all showed up, nobody preached. Let's go home. What do you mean nobody preached? I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to use my gift. I'm not going to use my ability. What if the worship team decided not to show up today? You know, play a CD track or something. Be like, hold on. What's going on here? I know we got some people in this building that are gifted at singing and gifting at musicianship, right? But there's so many other giftings within the body of Christ. I think sometimes we miss it because we're just looking for platform ministry gifting and we're not looking for practical gifting within the body of Christ. You realize that? Everybody plays a part. And it's super critical that you figure out what that is and you do it. Nobody else can do it. I need you. You need me for everything to work together. All right? So Romans 12, 4 through 8, it says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ... Th- though many form one body, each member belonging to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do so diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 1 Peter 4, 9-11, it says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of, you has, uh, each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, then they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So whatever it is that God has gifted you with, please use it. Do what God has built you to do. You know, some of you this morning you say, well, I don't know, Pastor Noe, what that is or what, what God has gifted me with. Or... So first and foremost, if you're a follower of Christ, you have the greatest gift that has ever been given to you personally. And I feel like it does God an injustice when we don't give that gift of salvation to others. And I think sometimes us just not saying something, you know, that's kind of stingy. It's like my kids when they have candy, a whole like, and I buy big bags of candy. We don't buy the little ones because to me it's like, man, you can get this whole giant bag for five bucks, or I can spend three dollars for a little Jipme bag, is what I call it. It's like, man, no, like, but when you have that big bag available, can I have one? No, I'm not sharing. Now I could see maybe you've got the little bag, right? You got that whole bag of where there's so much to give the world, but I think sometimes we're stingy and we don't want to share. And we don't want to give the greatest gift that Christ has ever given us. Maybe it's fear of man. Maybe it's we don't know what to say. But as a, in this church, I want us to grow to the place of where we can confidently all profess what Christ has done in our life. You don't need a pastor there to do it for you. Okay? So your personal mission is doing your part in advancing the kingdom of God. You guys stand up with me, and we're gonna, I'm going to tell you these three one more time, and we're going to get out of here. For this church to be as successful as God wants it to be, everybody has to do their part. You realize that? Everybody has to do their part. There's no spectators in the kingdom of God, just participators. And I think you say, no, I don't know what to do. What are you good at? What, is it, has, what has God gifted yet? Well, I just like people and... I mean, I feel like my smile is contagious. Well, hey, you know, we're going to get you plugged in with our greeter team or whatever. Because we need smiling faces and people that are just, you know, can connect. You know, there's, I mean, anything. You know, I know we don't like to talk about finances, but what if God has financially blessed you to impact the kingdom of God? Because I always told God, God, you make me a millionaire, I'll give almost all of it away. Now, I'm waiting, Lord. I ain't seen it yet. But, you know, he has gifted some people to be givers in the house. And as you give, you see more blessing. Every seed that you sow produces a result. But if I hold on to that seed and I don't want to plant it and I don't want it to bear fruit, guess what? I'm going to be robbed of the multiplication factor that happens when I plant and I sow what God has given me. Because all the seeds that we have to sow in our life have actually been given by the Father. But sometimes we want to hold on to those things rather than give those things. So for your personal mission to be successful, it involves living out your walk with Christ. Secondly, you know, it, you know, it's successful and brings God glory when you grow. And then thirdly, doing your part to advance the kingdom of God. Now, I think some of you, maybe this morning, know specifically what that's supposed to look like. But I'm also believing for clarity in your life today. That that you say, Pastor Noe, if God showed me what to do, I would do it. Okay? So so this morning, I'm just gonna pray over you. And maybe that's you this morning. You say, you know what, man, I would do exactly what God would ask me to do. I just don't know what to do. If that's you this morning, just lift your hand up real quick and put it down. That you want clarity in your life. You want to know, okay, I see your hands. God sees your hands. And and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pray that, you know, we're not gonna ask you to come up to the altar, but those that raise your hand, I'm believing that God is gonna reveal to you what to do. This week, I believe there's going to be an opportunity. You're be like, Oh, Lord, I was just playing. <laughs> right. But he's going to show you specifically of what he's calling you to do. And he needs you to open your mouth. He needs you to be the hands, to be the feet. Maybe he's going to ask you to just love on somebody this week. You know, there's a lot of broken, hurting people in the world. And sometimes just say, man, I love you. I'm standing with you in a big hug. Maybe you need to put on a mask. I don't know if before you hug them, whatever the conditions are. Right. In This new crazy world but whatever it is that God leads you to, that your personal mission is to do it, amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for each one here under the sound of my voice, and Lord, this morning I bless them. Father, I thank you that you have called them with a purpose and a plan, and Father, I pray for destinies today to, to just be revealed. Father, for purposes today to be revealed in the lives of your people. God, I pray that as you lead us, Father, we would just say, yes, Lord, whatever you ask us, whatever you show us to do, that we would just be obedient. Father, I pray against the fear of man. I pray against the insecurities, Father, that sometimes hold us back from being all that you called us to be. Today, I declare for this church that each of us in this place, in this house, will fulfill our personal mission. Father, I pray by your grace and by your work in us, it will be done in Jesus' name. Father, I also ask that we would encourage each other. Father, that we would be all that you've called us to be, that we would be the light of the world the salt of the world, and be effective in all that we do and say everywhere we go in every way, God. Be glorified in our lives. Help us to grow. Do whatever it takes. If we need pruning, Lord, prune us. Father, if there has been a lack of following, Lord, that we would begin to move our feet rather than, than dragging our feet, God. This is the hardest part. But Lord, if you will allow us to be open to you doing anything you want to do in our life, we let you do it. Today, if you can say, Lord, anything you ask me to do, I'll do it. I believe that you will begin to see your life reflecting what Christ has called you to and accomplishing things for his kingdom's sake. So Father, we love you. We give you the praise, the honor, and glory. Father, as we go from this place, I thank you that your spirit goes with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.